On episode 89 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, top marketing tips to cut through the noise. That's what you've got to work with on average. You've got three seconds for them to say, oh, I'm in the right place. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. On today's show, I talk with Jacob Badsgard, founder and CEO of Disruptive Advertising. We talk about the top tips entrepreneurs and consultants should use to effectively market their business. The common fear that I see people have is, oh, but if I say that, it's going to alienate everyone that might think this. And the answer is, that's right. And that's probably the best thing you can do for your business. I promise you'll learn a lot in this episode. And now, here's Jacob. Okay, so for those who don't know who you are, can you kind of introduce yourself? Yeah, Jacob Badsgard. I'm the founder and CEO of Disruptive Advertising. Uh, we're a tech-enabled agency that started out of my basement about four and a half years ago. We were on the Inc. 500 last year and have about 120 people in the organization now. And so what kind of work do you guys do? You know, people come to us for help in growing and scaling via digital marketing. They either lack the bandwidth or expertise to do so themselves. And so they come to us and say, hey, I'm spending money on Google or Facebook, and it's just not producing for me the way that I want, want it to. And I don't either know how to hire the right person to do this, or I hired someone and they don't seem to be driving the results I'm looking for to grow my business. So if someone were to come to you and they have little to no social media footprint, no web footprint, where do you start with somebody? How do you walk them through the stages of what they need to do first and how that goes? You know, there's a few things that we like to walk through first. Uh, what I've found is that too often in this industry, people are prescribing solutions before they understand the problem. Mm -hmm. And so we start with basic marketing math 101, which is help me understand your business model and, and how it even works. How do you exist as a business? And, and we kind of boil it down to a couple of metrics that are meaningful to us, which is when someone buys from you, how much on average are they spending with you? And then how often do they buy again? And we use that to determine what's the lifetime value of a customer to them. And, and then we back into, and what can we reasonably afford to buy a new customer from a marketing standpoint to understand if our solutions are even going to make sense for them? That's mm -hmm. the first thing that we like to do. And then assuming that generally speaking, it looks like there's, there's a viable path to success here, then we take it one step further, which is understanding buyer personas, because we all have customers. It's kind of that 80-20 rule. 80% 80 of our profits tend to come from 20% of our customers. Mm -hmm. And yet we... Just from a marketing standpoint, we kind of just want to get whatever we can get, which oftentimes holds us back from growing effectively and profitably as an organization. And so we start to say, perfect. It sounds like generally speaking, this is what a customer is worth to you and what you can afford to spend to get them. But let's talk about the customers that you really want now that tend to spend more, be easier to work with, that like you more. And let's figure out how to now go and target them and see if our solution is still viable to get in front of the right audience. And then once it is, then we just back into it and say, cool, now that we're on the same page, we understand what you can really afford to pay to get the types of customers that you want. Here's how we're gonna get in front of them. And here's the messaging that we're gonna work to use and test to see if we can get this funnel to work for you. And so that's kind of the process that we go through. So a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are not so much having like a product that they're selling to people that they may be able to 
quantify as easily as that. A lot of times they're looking to become a visual expert so that when a company is looking for a consultant to work with their business, they go, ah, this person really knows what they're talking about. Um, they show up at the top of any search results for any relevant keywords. How do you work with people in that way? You know, it's interesting. The, the vast majority of our customers, two thirds of them are lead generation, which is what you're describing, right? Mm -hmm. E-commerce, you've got a product and the transaction occurs on the website. Lead gen is anything right, really is, is in most industries. And I'm trying to get people to find me. Let's have a conversation. Let's come up with a scope that's going to make sense for everybody based on my expertise. The interesting thing is, is all the same rules still apply. Okay. Uh, whether it's a service or a product-based business or, or, or a software or technology-based business, uh, customers are still on average going to be worth a certain amount to you. Uh, and you're going to be willing to spend to get a certain amount for that type of customer or client. Some of those clients are still better or worse than others as well. And so I've found that absolutely it's still 100% applicable even in those situations. And that's actually the vast majority of the people that we work with are in that situation. So in a situation like that, instead of having, you know, hundreds or thousands of customers that are maybe buying for $10, $20 a piece, we're talking like maybe six customers that are $10,000 each, something like that's that. That's correct. That's correct. And that's one of the things that I've always really loved about, especially on the B2B side, is that uh, a customer is worth a lot more than a kind of a one and done transaction or maybe a couple of transactions on an e-commerce site, a B2B sale might be worth anywhere from $10,000 to 500,000 or a million dollars mm -hmm. in that in those circumstances. And uh, especially if it's the right customer that hangs around for a long time as well. And so it actually, B2B businesses, in my opinion, typically have a little bit of an upper hand because they have more flexibility on how much they can afford to spend to get a new customer versus an e-commerce business that might be a little bit more constrained because they're only generating there's smaller amounts of revenue from each customer. There's pros and cons to both sides. One's more measurable and instantaneous. The other one has more flexibility because it's, it's larger revenue sources um, per customer. Okay, so I'm sure you get this question a lot. How do I rank in Google for the terms I'm looking to rank for? Yeah, you know, there's... <laughs> <laughs> so, so my answer is easy. You pay for it. Okay. What we help with is not the SEO or the organic side of search. We actually just exclusively work on the ad side of that, of that platform. Okay. And so that's why we are very thorough in determining what we should be ranking for. And then we just put an ad there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we can avoid the whole process of trying to rank organically, which, which can be effective and is something that I think uh, should be done as well. It's not that it shouldn't. But from an advertising standpoint, you can figure out what's working a lot faster, where it might have taken you 18 months to figure out your ranking for a keyword after writing countless blog articles and figuring out creative backlinking strategies, only to realize it doesn't actually drive any revenue for you anyway. And so we typically like to start with the ads, figure out which ones are working for the business. And then that can be incorporated into a content and SEO strategy that you can then get more market share of what you've already proven to work. Is there a minimum kind of setup you want for your website to even have a minimal amount of SEO before you start spending on advertising? Yes, actually, I would say that there is. You want to make sure that you've got a solid site put together and you want to make sure that you're your Google My Business account is set up correctly, that you're at least establishing the keywords that you would want it to rank for uh, within that account. But in terms of like writing a lot of blog posts or those types of things, I, I don't know that that's necessarily 
the best way to start because again, you're kind of taking a guess that might take a really long time to learn if it was a good guess. And, you know, I think on the advertising side, a lot of the times you can just be so quick to finding those solutions that, yeah, you're, you're paying for those clicks. You're paying to get ads there, but the time that that saves you to finding a winning combination generally offsets that uh, and offsets that pretty well. So you're saying that you use the advertisement to kind of find what works for the customers you're looking for. And then from then, maybe you could go back and do some organic SEO, but you would start with the paid for ads so you can kind of see what works. That's what we recommend. And that's what I've done for my own business. Content and SEO is a big part of our success from a marketing standpoint now. And it's not come at the, and now we don't advertise anymore. It's, and we now do that in addition and it's Mm -hmm. allowing me to grow and scale the business more. Talk to me about the value of when you're doing different advertisement of trying different things out to see what works best for the person you're trying to reach. There's really two components that I find to be very meaningful and, and quite simple. uh, Frankly, there's a consistent component in the advertising model. And then there's a compelling component in that as well. So let's talk about what consistent means. So let's say that I provide, you know, we'll we'll use my own business as an example, digital marketing services. And so if someone were to jump on to Google and look for a digital marketing agency near me, I want to make sure that my ad copy and that the page that they land on when they click on that ad copy are consistent with what they looked for. So if someone was looking for email marketing services or AdWords or Facebook marketing services, I would want to make sure that I have an ad that's consistent with that message and then a landing page that's consistent rather than, and this is what people generally do, I bid on all those words and I have one ad that I'm kind of using for all of them that says we're a great digital marketing agency. And then we point them to a page that says we're a great digital marketing agency without addressing specifically what they were looking for in the first place. And so that's the consistency side that we see most businesses are missing. And that's why they go and spend dollars on Google or Facebook and, and they fail. I'm spending all this money and it's not producing for me, but it's, you know, we've all been there. We looked for a product on Google, we clicked on the ad and then I landed on the homepage and I had to start the search all over again. And then ADD kicks in and we, we fall out of the funnel and, and nothing happens. I call it the dad test. If, because my dad's not the most technologically savvy. And if he's looking for something and it takes him like longer than 10 seconds on Google to find it, he gets very frustrated. So if if they're searching for that specific thing, they should click on it and find it right away, right? That's the issue. Yeah, and the number's actually three seconds. Three seconds, okay. That's what you've got to work with on average. You've got three seconds for them to say, oh, I'm in the right place. Oh yeah, that's what I'm looking for. So in your model, maybe you should find your core business and then come up with keywords around that core business and then have landing pages that direct to that core business for each corresponding ad. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And there are solutions that make that so simple now. Um, We use uh, the the platform that we use for all of our clients that don't have a speedy design and dev team to build these pages on their site uh, is we'll use a solution like unbounce.com where we can, it's, it's, it's a great solution to get pages built very quickly, still operating off of the same domain. And that way you can get them up quickly and and make things happen without having to go through more extensive design and dev uh, processes to get those things live. And that, and that kind of completes the consistent side. If you do that, you're already getting 80% better results 
than your competition on average, especially depending on the industry that you're in. You'd, you'd be surprised how poorly, I mean, that's so simple, right? Just have ad copy and landing pages that are relevant and consistent with what they looked for first. You'd be surprised how many people are still not doing that. The next part becomes making that compelling, figuring out what pain points, what benefits and, and value proposition resonates best with the audience. And that's where testing comes into ad copy, titles, copy on the landing page, images, videos, those types of things. That's where we then go into the process of, okay, cool. We've got best practices set up. Now let's figure out what actually gets people to act, to move and to buy or to fill up the form. So far, we kind of talked about buying with Google and ranking for Google. When it comes to like a landing page, what should be on a landing page? You know, there's a few things that should be on a landing page. The, the biggest mistake that I see people making is that it should be incredibly clear the objective of I'm here and this is what I do next. And oftentimes that's with a title that's just, again, very consistent with the ad copy that brought them in. And then a very clear call to action. And I typically like to keep those above the fold, right? So if I've got to scroll to figure out what I've got to do next, that's generally speaking going to be a problem. And so that those are some of the things that I like to see there. There's a few components that I see as bigger mistakes that people are making, fluff or buzzwords. Uh, I see this a lot on the B2B side of things where people are saying words that don't mean anything. <laughs> they don't mean anything. Hey, we're your scaling, creative scaling partner. And synergy. Like, and and synergy <laughs> and and it's just, oh man, come on, like that stuff as a mark as a as a kind of a performance direct response marketer, that stuff kills me. Mm -hmm. Especially when it's coming from search. There is something to keep in mind. If I'm driving traffic from Facebook that wasn't looking for my service to begin with, I might not be able to stick them on a page that just says, reach out, let's chat, right? Because mm -hmm. they're not at that point in the buying cycle yet. So this is all relative to where they're at in the buying cycle. But assuming they went to search to look for your solution and we land them on a page that just blatantly says, we do exactly what you just looked for. Mm -hmm. Benefits and value proposition, reach out and talk to us now, right? That's really all we need to do. Lower in the funnel, they've got high buyer's intent. They already raised their hand and said, I'm looking for it. Let's just make it really, really easy for them to say, yep, you're in the right place. And this is what differentiates us and the benefits that you'll get in talking to us with a clear call to action of how to proceed. That's really what we're looking for on a landing page. What about the kind of person who really wants to kick the tires, try things out, wants more information and is not immediately swayed by that call to action right off the bat. Yeah. So you're talking about, you know, depending on your conversion rates, 80 to 90% of the rest, right? Because most of the people are not taking that action. And so there's a couple of things that we're doing there. Um, we want to understand why they're not taking the action. And so uh, retargeting is one of the best ways to stay top of mind. Okay, perfect. They hit the page. It wasn't what they were looking for. They bounced. And now we're going to follow them around with an ad and test different messages to see what brings them back and gives them what they were actually looking for. And so sometimes that might be a softer offer. Hey, we thought you were ready to buy clearly or not. Why don't you come back and check out this guide? Or why don't you come, come back and check out this case study? Or why don't you come and check out this blog post that we wrote specifically about your industry that will give you some insight here. And that's where we start pecking and giving them information to see, well, what was it really that you were going after? What's bringing you back? And then how do we take you to the next level after that as well? And those are just some components that retargeting, especially on Facebook, it's a great way to stay in front of people after they came to your website through a Google search is a great way to, okay, you weren't ready. Let's figure out what you did want and give that to you. Has the industry changed at all in light of all the 
Facebook privacy issues and and people not wanting to be followed around the internet? You know, it, it actually has. Facebook specifically has uh, watered down their targeting a little bit recently uh, with some of the scrutiny that they've been under. The ability to target, and I don't, I don't actually expect it to stay this way because it's actually in everyone's best interest that they see relevant ads, not irrelevant ads. Mm-hmm. The level of information that Facebook is providing is not really anything that's going to compromise anyone's privacy or those types of things. But for the time being, the level of detail at the job title level, on some of these other things that used to be a little bit more granular, they've watered that down a little bit recently, and it's making an impact to the effectiveness of advertising dollars. And I would also think a lot of the browsers are implementing tracking, blocking features, which could also kind of put a damper on the retargeting effort. Yeah, you know, ad blockers have always been a challenge and and will always continue to be a challenge, but you'd actually be surprised it's a pretty small percentage of overall users online that are actually leveraging those types of tools. Depends on the industry, but it's typically less than 5%. So also on the side of websites, what are some of the best practices for someone for their website, for them to rank well and stuff? I know there's that we've talked about kind of the copy to get them there and paying for advertisement to be there, but there's also factors Google takes like how fast your page takes to load, if it's mobile responsive, things like that. What are other things people need to know about how their website's designed. And I I don't even know that I would call myself the expert on general web design. I'm typically more in the marketing funnel aspect of it. But what I would say is there's a few things that we wanna look for there is that you can often double the conversion rates on your website if you can just get the speed right. And so picking whether you're using WordPress or whatever platform you're using a Shopify to get your your site live and, and to get your products or services in front of people, speed is an important factor. And so I would take a look at that. As it relates to how much time I'm investing in a mobily optimized site, yeah, most themes are actually pretty accommodating for that already. But you want to make sure that you're picking one that that does dynamic and that's going to work well on both aspects. Now, what's interesting on a lot of the B2B side of things, some industries have a ton of mobile traffic, some don't. And so I would take a look at your industry and you can look at trends in terms of what types of devices people are doing research with in your industry to really determine how much juice is gonna come from that squeeze and where to really put your time and effort. My business and a lot of the B2B businesses we work with, they actually surprisingly get a lot, um, not a lot of uh, mobile traffic as a percentage of total. Mm. Uh, More on the consumer side is where you're starting to see that cross the 50% threshold where the majority is now mobile traffic. A lot of our B2B customers are still in that 10 to 20% is mobile. And so man, if I had to choose, I'm actually going to optimize my, my desktop, laptop, site as, as a top priority there. And so, it, you know, it's going to depend on a variety of factors there. But speed is one of them. Uh, bounce rate is a big one that Google's looking for. Once they come to your site, how quickly are they bouncing off? And how many pages did they look at? How long did they spend there? Because it means, hey, I found something I was looking for. And you've got to keep in mind, it's all about Google keeps their best interest in mind. And if people aren't finding what they're looking for from a search, then Google doesn't want to show you anymore as a potential option. They Mm -hmm. want to keep everyone using their search platform. And the way that they regulate that is, well, people that are getting the most value from the search results, those are the ones we want to rank the highest. Bounce rate is probably one of the best things as site speed and then bounce rate or relevancy or experience, whatever you want to call it are the things that I would be prioritizing as I'm building my site for Google to like me. And then I'm indexable for the words that I want to rank for that I've optimized. So when they do come, they're getting value of what they're looking for. 
And again, that I'm making it abundantly clear what we do and how we can help and how they can reach out and get that help. We'll be right back. And now it's time to meet 360 Solutions strategic partner, Meg Pogue. From Austin, Texas. Most of my career was in the nonprofit world. And after 10 plus years as a CEO of a nonprofit, decided I had had enough of the stress. And I actually had had a close mentor who volunteered for my organization named Bill Forsberg. And he was Ross Perot's right-hand man in all three of Ross's companies, doing leadership development and organizational development. So he coached me. He was what I call my secret advisor. We met monthly for coffee for five years as I grew my organization and acquired other organizations. And I realized I wanted to be like Bill. And Bill pointed me to 360 Solutions. And I went out on my own just recently. And it's been great. If, like Meg, you're ready to help organizations develop their leaders, consider partnering with 360 Solutions. Our high-performance leadership framework helps businesses run more efficiently with an engaged workforce. Find out about partnering with 360 Solutions at 360solutions.com partner. Again, that's 360solutions.com partner. And now back to the show. You're kind of hitting on this, but kind of talk about how the marketing industry has changed. Because it used to be like you ha- you were working for somebody and your goal was to make them happy with your product. But yeah. now it seems like even if the person, your client is not happy with your product, if it's bringing in lots of traffic, if you can show that it's monetizing well, they're going to say, oh, well, my opinion really didn't matter. It's It's the customers that are actually coming in that matter. And so the data is really important. Well, and that's where your last comment there is really what's key, and that's data. If you can't track what's actually going on, you'd never know that to begin with. And if you didn't know that, what actions can you actually take? And so I think that really where marketing has evolved over the last uh, year, last few years, is the ability and the level of granularity that things can be tracked. And that's the biggest difference that I've seen in organizations, people that actually connect their advertising dollars, it goes into a CRM or they're able to associate where that very click came from that drove that lead that turned into a sale so that they can spend the dollars where it's producing the most. You know, keep in mind, a lot of people have gone from traditional media buys, billboards, TV, print, these types of things. Then they went to digital and approached it the same way, but the digital was so inexpensive from a a cost per thousand impressions or a cost per click that it still worked. Mm -hmm. Cool, now I'm just getting in front of people digitally and it's cheap enough and I'm just driving enough volume. I can't actually track anything, but there's enough volume, it's cheap enough, my business is still working. But now as these advertising platforms have become more sophisticated, they've become more expensive because they're an auction. Mm -hmm. And the more more people that wanna be in on that auction, the more that it's going to cost. Just like it costs more to advertise for the Super Bowl, than it does on your local news. Well, now it costs more to advertise on Google search. It costs more to advertise on Facebook or YouTube or these different platforms. And so that luxury has gone for the vast majority of industries. So the only way you overcome that, and this is what the smart businesses are doing, is okay, now we've got to track things in enough detail that we can see what's actually producing for us and what's not. And okay, these are the keywords and the ages and the income levels and these demographic this is what's actually producing for us. So this is where we're going to put our marketing dollars now. That's the biggest difference that I see successful businesses leveraging while others still kind of scratch their head and they're kind of frustrated about why isn't this moving forward, but they're still treating it a little bit like the spray and pray 
media buy, but it's too expensive to be effective now. Mm -hmm. I'm in a smaller market. And so I still see a lot of traditional advertisers and they sometimes I've heard before, and it makes me kind of cringe is that, you know, 50% of marketing works. The problem is we don't know which 50%. And I'm like, that is so not true anymore. You can tell exactly down to the percentage, what is most effective. You can say this person bought that. I mean, previously, if you put a billboard up, you'd have to hope that that person would tell you, oh yeah, I saw you on a billboard and I decided to come in. It's just kind of silly to me that people are still having that mindset in this day and age where you almost need to be versed in data analytics to be an effective marketer? Well, we've, we've built a technology that'll actually audit these ad platforms for us. And we've run about 4,000 audits specifically on the Google AdWords side of things now. And we've found that 76% of budgets are actually wasted, not 50%. <laughs> even worse. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't even mean that the other 24% is profitable. It just means that it at least produced something. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly for those reasons. I am spreading my budget too thin, bidding on too many things. I don't know what's working. I don't know what's not. And so I keep putting dollars in there because I'm scared if I don't, my business will decline. And it's just, you know, it's a fear-based motivation of how they're advertising rather than a calculated analytics driven. This is what's working. This is what's not. Let's put the dollars where it's working or let's test some different ideas and messaging on the areas that it's not working to see if we can make it work. (laughs) Right. So speaking also, still staying with Google a little bit, What's the difference between, you know, I hear more about keywords and then long tail keywords. What are the differences between those types of things? The buyer's intent is typically going to be higher the longer the the search query is. And keep in mind, it's something like 18, 20% of what, what people type into Google is new to Google because there's an infinite amount of variations of ways that people can type things in. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> And so it's just, it's just, there's always a lot of new stuff going on there. But as, but a simple example might be someone types in the word shoes. That's, that's a short tail keyword. A long tail keyword would be, I'm looking for green basketball shoes, size 12 for men under a hundred dollars. Okay. Now all of a sudden they've really told you what they're looking for. And clearly right. this one's a little bit more ready to buy mm-hmm. than someone that just typed in the word shoes. And that's what we've found to be consistent on the services and B2B side of things as well. And so, you know, someone might be bidding on the word coaching. Well, coaching could mean anything, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they might, but then someone might type in the word small business coaching, or someone might look for financial coaching for a small business or sales coaching for a medium-sized business. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're bidding on words that are actually just higher and more relevant to what it is your services are. And that way you can make sure your ads are getting in front of the right people. Instead of someone that was looking for a a basketball coach for their kids and they just thought to type in coaching on their first shot. And it will also cost more if you're going for a more broad keyword, correct? You know, sometimes on a per click basis, it's actually more expensive on the long tail keyword. Okay. Um, now, not always, but in a sophisticated market, it is because people know that that a longer tail keyword is worth more. Now, your answer is still accurate, though, because when you bid on that shorter tail keyword, there are so many, it's like that billboard, two out of every hundred that drive by it might be relevant, but you're still going to get some incidental clicks and costs that comes from that. So when it comes to cost to production, the shorter tail keywords will always be less productive, mm-hmm. even if the cost per click is a little lower. And that's and that's a trap that I've seen businesses fall into. Well, the cost per click is lower. Well, yeah, but they're irrelevant clicks. I actually wrote an, an article um, on the most interesting actual queries that people typed into Google that we've seen 
over the $100 million in the last year that we've managed and spend on Google, we had a company that came to us looking for help that was selling pet products. And they were bidding on incredibly generic words around animals. And guess what their number one, what people actually typed in and saw their ad for was animal sex. <laughs> you don't want and that. that is, <laughs> that is not what they were going for. Um, oh, that's that. That's the risk. When you go for that short tail stuff, and then you start showing your ads for everything, and it's not relevant. And when we showed them that, you better believe they're like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that that's, when uh, when you have a customer and you can show them immediately, like these are the results, or you are wasting money here and now you're saving it? They're like, "Oh my gosh, thank you, thank you for coming along." Yes, that is, and that's our experience actually almost every time we do an audit for people that have already been advertising. For people that haven't been advertising, we don't get that pleasure. <laughs> so kind of moving over to social media and stuff, you know, for our business in particular, we're dealing a lot with um, organizations and businesses that are looking for consulting services. And so when we look at which social media network is most profitable for us to advertise or spend our time on, it ends up being LinkedIn, but it could be different for any type of product. So do you recommend people spend more time on different platforms based on where their audience is? You know, it's interesting. Even in the B2B space, we've found Facebook to be more effective than LinkedIn on average. Okay. Not always for a couple of reasons. That is the cost per click is usually about a fifth on mm -hmm. Facebook as it is on LinkedIn. And you can still be uh, almost as granular from a targeting perspective. And so if you can get in front of the same people with the same message and it costs a fifth as much on one platform versus another, we're typically seeing that we can drive better outcomes at a more affordable rate on Facebook than we can on LinkedIn. Because also the, the user, the active user ratio is much higher on Facebook than on LinkedIn as well. Right. Now, that being said, I think both are actually necessary and important. And I think the strategy is actually different on both. And depending on budget, that's really where you have to start deciding okay, if I'm, if I'm operating with a pretty small budget, you may have to choose one or the other mm -hmm. because otherwise you're going to spread yourself too thin and not really be that effective. The biggest thing to keep in mind though is that people aren't going on LinkedIn. Well, actually they've added some features where you can now find local experts and, and people that you can get services from, which is interesting. But keep in mind, most people aren't hopping onto social media to look to buy something from someone. Mm -hmm. And so the message and the ads that you're bringing to them are not the same that you would on Google search on Google search. You said, Hey, you're looking for me and here I am come by for me Right. on LinkedIn or Facebook. You might need to show and give value first before you're able to start expecting that. And so what we've found to be the most effective is if you can actually, if you have a, a target customer list that you say, Hey, here's, here's a thousand businesses that fit my criteria that I would like to do coaching for, you can actually upload that list into these platforms and target those people specifically. That's how you avoid the waste. And then you just test messaging to see what, what are people resonating with? What message are people actually biting on? And okay, cool. Now that I've figured that out, most often on social media, it's kind of more of a content, a value add play. Now what's my retargeting and email strategy to act and then, you know, maybe even a call and or a combination of all of the above to actually get a meaningful opportunity and, and conversation with this person. You talked earlier about personas. So that's the idea of, of kind of sketching out who your customer is in your head. Absolutely. Most people gloss over that because it almost sounds like a buzzword, right? Mm -hmm. It almost sounds like it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it almost sounds like it's going to be a waste of time and I'm not going to get any meaningful action from this activity. And it's unfortunate because I see very few businesses actually take the time to identify this is our 
target client. And most businesses kind of think they have, but it's such a general broad audience that like they haven't at all. <laughs> and so from a buyer persona standpoint, going through that exercise is actually one of my favorite things to do. And you know who always has the best insight on buyer personas? Who? Top salesperson. Okay. The top salesperson understands the pain points better than anyone I've ever talked to, better than the marketers. And they understand, okay, these are the things that are that are hot points. And what is that final thing that pushes them over the edge to actually want to buy? And in a coaching-based business, a lot of the times that's the the owner, the the founder, the the if I'm a solopreneur, you know, I'm the one that kind of has that information. But for some reason, when we jump into developing marketing buyer personas, we throw all that sales experience off to the side and then try to define it from a marketing standpoint. When really we ought to take our sales experience and incorporate that into the marketing experience. Because when I talk to someone, these are their, these are the hot buttons that really matter to them. And this is what's getting them to act and to move. Well, they'll put that into the marketing message um, because that's what's going to work. And so, you know, let's not overcomplicate it either. Buyer personas are important. And generally speaking, the most insight we have is has come from our actual in the trenches sales experience. So how granular should you get with your persona making? You know, I would err towards being a little more granular than less granular, because otherwise you start to try and come up with a message that addresses everyone. And the common fear that I see people have is, oh, but if I say that, it's going to alienate everyone that might think this. And the answer is that's right. And that's, that, that's correct. Your thought process is correct. And that's probably the best thing you can do for your business. Because let's be honest, in a coaching business, you know, unless it's purely an info product, it's not incredibly scalable anyway. You can't onboard 20 new clients tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So why not just get the one you want right? instead of trying to appeal to 100 and then narrowing it down to the one that you want? Mm -hmm. And so I would say getting more granular is, is worthwhile because your every marketing dollar will be spent more effectively. Messaging in your ad copy just got a lot easier because you're addressing a more specific individual as well as your landing page experience as well. So we have independent partners all over the country that are using our material to help organizations become better in different ways. And so three, I think of right off the top of my head, we have a lady who just opened up in, in Pittsburgh and she has a background as a chemist. And so she's trying to reach science and technology related organizations. So bigger organizations, also startups. So she can be very specific if she only targets technology related keywords when also adding to the organization. Is that what you're saying? Well, there's two things that you can do. So, so first off, if you're talking to someone in the, the technology and, you know, whether it's chemical engineering or medical or, I mean, the words that you're using to address that type of an audience are completely different than a home services industry right. or a construction. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're, it's going to be different. And so absolutely, it's great to have that differentiation. The challenge is sometimes you can't identify those people when they go onto Google and search for coaching. And that's where identifying your, your target buyer persona, a lot of the times in a, in a niche B2B situation, you actually have to compile a list of, and these are the hundred or the thousand businesses that I really want to go after and the individuals in that, in those businesses that I need to get in front of and then upload those and advertise to those people specifically. Okay. That's, that's how you get around that. And that's how a persona probably just saved you a lot of money versus just generically advertising to anyone looking for coaching or anyone of a business of X size. Right. It kind of sounds to me like when we talk about social media, you're telling me that Facebook is kind of the 800 pound gorilla in the room. hundred percent. 
<laughs> and so if you're not on Facebook, you should definitely be on Facebook. If you only have the time, resources, and money to invest in one, that's the one you should go for. It's kind of the cop-out answer, which is it depends. From, from an advertising dollars, I think that's correct. Now, from a guerrilla warfare tactics, LinkedIn is better. Hmm. Um, if you're actually taking the time to individually message people, check out their profile, open dialogue, have conversations with them, and it's really truly more of a one-to-one -one approach, then I actually think LinkedIn will be better for you. But those aren't, those aren't advert. You're not putting ads on LinkedIn. Right. You're actually doing direct outreach. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's more effective than cold calling. And so if we're talking about advertising dollars on platforms, I'd go with Facebook. If I'm talking guerrilla warfare, and outbound and outreach to cold contacts, I would I would choose LinkedIn first. And sometimes, you know, if I'm a coach or in those types of situations, you might actually be better off there because there might be only five people that you want to talk with and striking up conversations on LinkedIn may be the best way to do that. Hmm. Interesting. We talked about the website, we talked about landing pages, talked about Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that stuff. Do the other social networks out there have any place like being on Twitter, you know, stuff like that. Uh, one thing that a lot of people forget is that Instagram is run through the Facebook ad platform. Oh, that's right. And, and so I think that when I say Facebook, I, I'm also saying that wrapped up with Instagram as well. And I think that, that a lot of the tactics and strategies there are actually quite similar. And I'll be honest with you, the other platforms have a time and a place like a, like a Twitter or a Pinterest or some of these other ones, but we, we don't spend a lot, you know, of, of the of $100 million that we manage for our customers in a year, we're, we're spending next to nothing, if anything, on those platforms. And it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be part of a holistic marketing strategy, but in terms of ad dollars, I'm not putting a lot into those ones right now. That doesn't mean that that won't change over time. Uh, the other one that we haven't talked about, because it may or may not be as relevant to, to the people that we're addressing today, is Amazon. Amazon's actually a huge ad platform right now. And, but, but clearly that's more, and they will that's have services though, right? They actually are going to have services in there as well. Huh. As you and I both know, Amazon is trying to take over the world and <laughs> absolutely services and other things are going to be a part of that in the future, as well as on Google search, where you can actually start to advertise a service almost as a product as well. So kind of the takeaway seems to be that there are a few big companies that are kind of ruling the space and you need to make sure you play in all of them. Yeah. Advertising dollars, 85% of all digital ad dollars are going through um, Google or Facebook right now. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, one thing that we didn't talk about is, is display or programmatic can be run through Google because 80% of all websites with ads are opted into Google's display network, as well as YouTube is owned by Google and run through the Google AdWords platform as well. And so really, I mean, you can go after other ones, but that's where all the advertising dollars are going right now. And so display network for people who may not know, that's on someone's site, they would have a section of their website that would be open to that, to anyone who's bidding on it to put an ad there. And you could put an ad there like a, a, an image type of ad. Yeah. Let's take ESPN, for example, the banner ads that you see at the top or on the side, or when you finish reading an article at the bottom, uh, those are all banner ads and you can choose what sites you want to put banner ads on. And so that's a big part of Google's business and could be part of your strategy as well. Absolutely. What we're doing right now is content marketing in a yep. way. For us, we, we like to kind of give people information and, and hope they have something interesting they didn't have before, but let's also be straight. It, it is a form of marketing. So Correct. where does the content marketing fall in your strategy? 
you know, I think there's an important differentiation because my business model is based off of having expertise in several areas of marketing. We are not a full service agency. And so there's absolutely value in traditional marketing still and media buys, billboards for the right business models, mailers, those types, everything still works if done in the right context, the right time and place to the right audience. Mm -hmm. But content marketing is actually one of, for, for my own business, it's a little bit harder to scale as what I've found. So we haven't really offered it as a product or service to our clients, but is but represents about uh, half of, of the overall sales and growth that we've had as a business. The difference is we got a lot of our immediate growth from effectively run PPC campaigns. And then as content has built up over time, it's been a little bit of a longer term play. But now that we're four years into it, we're actually seeing quite a bit of that snowball uh, effect where we've got, you know, eight, 800 plus blog posts that we've written that are have been well promoted rank well now. Uh, we've started to see that snowball effect. I do, you know, quite a few podcasts. We write a lot of content. We speak at events, those types of things as well. And so content to me, if you want to get that compound effect in your business, you can't rely on one marketing channel. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you were to do paid search only, you're going to, you're going to plateau as a business very quickly, but you can get five times the, the performance out of your search campaigns if you're doing effective landing pages, if you're doing retargeting, if you have email nurturing and automation, if you've established some brand presence through content, speaking and other engagements, all of a sudden every click you're getting from search is worth about five times what it was before you had those other marketing pieces in place. But it all starts with visibility and traffic. And I've always found that, that the advertising side is the quicker way to get there. And that content is something that you catch up. And then when it kicks in and starts working, that's when you're starting to get a lot more growth and be able to take your business to the next level. So if I'm Google and I'm, and I'm saying, uh, you're searching for digital marketing services and you pop up, that's one way you'd show up. But over time it may be like, you know, how to best rank for pay-per-click services. And you have a blog post written on that and that pops up first. Someone reads that and they feel comfortable with you and then they want to opt into your services, right? Yeah. And sometimes that happens a year later after they've read 12 blog posts and yeah. been retargeted to for a while. That's the long-term play that especially smaller businesses have a hard time getting into that mentality because it's the survival of today right? rather than the, okay, this is great. And this is how it's going to benefit us long-term. And we've got to start putting some of these stakes in the ground. It's funny when it comes to like finance, you find those people as well, the people who are comfortable with the long-term investment and they're going to see a better overall return or the yep. people who are just living day to day and they may see some returns, but nothing near the person who actually invested the time and effort and just was patient, right? Yeah, I, and I think patient and strategic, right? Is, is how I would describe that. That's the difference, man, is you put those two components together and the people that can never get out of that daily grind and the urgency of I've got to get the next sale to survive, those businesses don't last long, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Like at some point they burn out it's not a sustainable model. Well, it makes sense kind of what you're saying. So if someone is starting and they're trying to get their business going and they don't have a lot of revenue, they could start with the advertising paid for model and then develop those longer term strategies as they develop as a business, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I love about the paid channels is that you can turn them off. If you've got more business than you can handle, turn it off. Don't spend the money. That's one of the nice things about these dials and levers that you have from an advertising standpoint to where you know, if, if your content, your, all these other things are producing and sales are good, hey, 
save some money on the advertising dollars, continue to get it through your channels that are less expensive now that they're producing. Okay, cool. We're ready to grow again. Let's turn up those dials. I love the flexibility that it provides. You kind of touched on email marketing. So what's the importance of that and how's the best way to effectively do that? Yeah, email marketing sounds simple, but uh, holistically is actually fairly complex. Um, it involves every everything from cold outreach to the first time you've even contacted a potential buyer. Then you've got, hey, people that are coming to read this content aren't ready to buy from me, but they might be interested in continuing to get more content. So I need to get them to, into a nurturing and content email drip to, hey, someone filled out a lead form and I need to nurture and, and follow up with them via email or for existing clients how to help them get the most value and, and stay present and top of mind with them and remind them of value to pitched and lost uh, people leads from, from last year that we're still nurturing and, and touching base with emails all over the place. It, it, it really can cover a lot of initial awareness to really helping close a deal. It, it's really, there's a lot of components to it. The lowest hanging fruit is where people should, you know, go get a MailChimp account for a few bucks a month. And for people that fill out the lead form on your site that are considering working with you or download a guide from your website and just set up a five email drip, you know, like that's probably the best place to start where you can say, okay, cool. They reached out and then I'm going to send them five emails. One of them is going to be a case study. One of them is going to be a little bit more about the business. You know, and then you just kind of go through those and, and, and nurture them through and then start to look at how people interact and, and how those are impacting the overall sales performance and, and tweak from there. It's like a zero cost thing. I mean, it's so little that you sh if you're getting any sort of leads coming through, that's easy, easy place to start. And also, I feel like if you're on Facebook or other platforms, if they change the way they are presenting your content to people, you may be pushed down. And with an email, you know, you're going to go directly to someone's inbox. Absolutely. For those that have already expressed interest in you, found you expressed interest and you're just following up with them via email, you should be, get pretty good open rates. You should get pretty good interactions. Obviously, cold outreach is, is different. You got to be careful with spam laws and those kind of things not to violate those. But when we talk with our clients, we say that you should have some sort of a, a content marketing, you know, just because a lot of them are trying to build up their presence as an expert in their field. Yeah. And some people are better speakers, some people are better writers, some people are good on camera. And so we try to encourage people to kind of explore the medium with which they feel most comfortable. Is that something you would also recommend for your clients? Not necessarily. I think that sometimes uncomfortable may be the best place to start. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, but, but again, it's going to depend on circumstances. And so I guess truth be told, we are, people are reaching out to us to get help in the areas that we specifically help with. And so that isn't something I've given a whole lot of thought to in terms of, well, should you start where you're more or less comfortable? I think you should start where it's best and you should take the time to educate yourself on what's best and start there. Mm -hmm. So a quick uh, story about how this podcast started was when I initially came on board, uh, our founder, Chip Wilson, is an amazing speaker and he likes to talk in front of people. If you give him a microphone, he can talk for days. But if you say, would you please write down kind of a, a summation of what you just said, it might, may take you days or weeks to even get that. So if I ever, said, right. right. So I said, how about <laughs> if we have a format where we can put a microphone in front of you and you can talk and then we can use that as content. And that was something that I had more success initially with him. You know, I can trap him in a room for 30 yeah. minutes to an hour. And so that worked well for, for him because I feel like maybe consistency is also a good strategy when it comes yeah. to content. 
I agree. And you bring up a great point there, which is if it's uphill and uncomfortable and there's a lot of friction, the chances of being consistent and sticking with it until you find that success are pretty low. And so I, you know, I think that that's an excellent point. So where do you see podcasting going as a medium for marketing? I think podcasts are great. I think it's the way that people want to consume content more and more, especially if you're targeting a, a higher income professional, they love podcasts, you know, and so I think that it's an excellent way to get in front of uh, an audience, to build a reputation, a brand. And I think that it's, it's, I think it's definitely still on the incline. All right, excellent. So if people want to find you, how do they find you? Yeah, you know, people that come to us are typically looking for help to grow their business and they don't know how to do that using Google or Facebook or they've got a website that's just not converting very well. And the best way to reach out to us would just be to go to disruptiveadvertising.com and reach out to us through there, either give us a call or fill out the form. And there's a couple of things that we do. We'll, we'll, we'll provide a free audit. So if you're already advertising on these platforms, we've developed a technology that we can push a button, hand you a PDF that shows you what's working and what's not and walk you through that and either do it on your own or we can help you out. And we'd just love to see you be successful. Or if you haven't advertised before, We'll actually take the time to put together a growth strategy with you that takes into account your individual circumstances. And then we put together a plan of where you really probably should start and what that path looks like. And sometimes that path includes us and sometimes it doesn't. We, we like to see people be successful. And we a lot of our business just comes from let's help people be successful, whether or not we're the ones professionally engaged in that or not. We love pointing people in the right direction. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I hope everyone learned a lot. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.